And welcome back. This is Bill English with the Bible and Business and Faith Radio, and we are talking today with uh, Bill Bojan and Johan Jenvik about uh, the best practices around building a strong referral network that is so essential to so many of us uh, to being successful in business. And in this segment, I'd like to talk about some of the best and worst practices, things to do and things not to do around building a strong referral network. And let's start with the technologies that we would use uh, to track our referral network and to stay in touch with them. And the obvious one that everybody is going to use is LinkedIn. And I know, Johan, uh, you're pretty good at LinkedIn. So why don't you tell us how you use it and uh, and tell us the value that it brings to you. I think that LinkedIn is a powerful tool. I'm not being paid by LinkedIn to endorse that tool. It's <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Right? <laughs> it's over 300 million users of LinkedIn.com. And for me, it's my first point of contact for information about an organization or professional that I'd like to meet. And I can leverage that tool by leveraging my existing network to meet somebody that I don't already know or that I'd like to meet or an organization I'd like to be in contact with. And let's say that you, Bill, had a contact that I'd like to meet and they were a second-degree connection to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to shoot you a note and say, hey, Bill, can you introduce me to Joe? This is why I think it would be valuable, <laughs> whether that be just an email introduction or we connect for coffee over lunch. Love the opportunity to meet him, share with him the type of work that we do at uh, Gallagher, and if we can add value, great, but if not, it was good to meet another person. You know, situations have a way of changing, and if at some point in the future they need my services, awesome. Love the opportunity to be a resource. But otherwise, it's about meeting good people. I feel like LinkedIn is a, is a great tool as, as a first point of contact to really understand someone's business. So when you come in in the morning and you sit down at your desk and you turn on your computer and you open up your browser, is LinkedIn... LinkedIn. The default is just right there, ready to go. No, LinkedIn is not the default, but is absolutely the first and last site I'm on every day. Every day. Half an hour to an hour a day I'm on LinkedIn, building my network. Okay, now do either of you use, I, Bill, I know you use LinkedIn too, and I won't ask you to, to repeat what Johanna said, but do either of you use other technologies in addition to LinkedIn that help you keep track of your referral network? Now, I'm not necessarily thinking right now in this podcast about uh, customer relationship management. I'm really focused on on how you stay in touch with those in your referral network. Well, part of this tool is a CRM, but we do use Salesforce.com as well. And we, I have been asked to be a part of a pilot organization where uh, LinkedIn is embedded into Salesforce now for the tool, and that's called Sales Navigator. And so for the individual who doesn't have a, a Gallagher behind them, a smaller company that doesn't use Salesforce, are there any other tools that you guys would recommend for LinkedIn integration? We're on, we're on Salesforce as well because our whole product actually is built on Force.com and Salesforce. Okay. Um, so we're actually <clears throat> right now connecting you know, marketing automation and referral and everything, so it's all in one place. That That, that is having having separate systems can get – very very inefficient. So, but that's that's kind of the path we're going on because that's the and the fact that because a lot of what we do is is B two B business to business. About seventy five percent of businesses are on Salesforce at some kind of level, and so that that's just a logical thing for us to to connect to. So best practice is LinkedIn number one, and if you can get a, a, a hook through Salesforce or another software package, 
uh, to kind of build your day around and keep track of your referral sources, that would that would be best practices. Am I understanding you both correctly? In addition to that, I would say best practices around LinkedIn is really having a complete profile, and that starts with logging your company organization information, your background and education, where you came from. You can even have where you went to elementary school in there. And the more points of contact that you have with someone, the less work it takes for you to build rapport. Because if they see that you went to a local university, if they see that you went to you know, University of Northwestern St. Paul and you grew up on the west side of the metropolitan area, you know, you have opportunities to make connections. So LinkedIn isn't how I build my network. It's in support of how I build my network. And it's finding as many con- contacts or point of contact to a person where I don't need to overcome the fact that I'm a stranger anymore. I'm now a known commodity because we share mutual contacts. We share mutual experiences. You know, faith is a big part of that. Being a believer. That is the foundation for just interacting with people for me Mm -hmm. and that they know that I've got an integrity structure. And then it's learning about where they went to school, where they grew up, and then finding how many mutual people. You know, for me, it's really a game, degrees of separation. It's so fun for me when I meet someone to find how many different ways I'm connected to them Mm -hmm. and what's the closest point of contact. And see, that represents your heart to me. That just represents your heart that you're so interested in the other person, not just in what they can do for you, but you're really more interested in how you're going to be able to serve them. And that's really a reflection, I think, in all three of us of the work that the Holy Spirit has done in us to make us servants, not just demanders, if I can put it that way, mm-hmm. in, in the business in the business world. Yeah. You know? Maybe the other thing I'd add is... Um there's kind of a generational consideration here as well. Um, I think as social networking has really um, begun to really become the norm, um, and as LinkedIn has developed such a, you know, got a, up to 300 million folks, you, you have people that are perhaps, you know, up in, in the executive levels today who who are less about social networking, but you have the, the, the generation coming up that's all, that's just how they do things. I think that's another real key consideration is making sure that you are using a, um, a networking and a referral process that, that connects to the people you're trying to connect to. Um, but clearly, the whole social networking, and I, I'm hearing more and more people now when they um, are, are trying to introduce themselves to someone say, oh, we, we've got you know, several people in, in common um, on LinkedIn, and that's, just, that's a way to kind of begin to um, mm-hmm. soften soften things a little bit and, sure. and building a rapport. Now, I'm curious, have either of you ever done any training uh, on the use of LinkedIn? Where did you get your training on LinkedIn? Uh, from LinkedIn. So LinkedIn has its own training modules. Yes. So internally, we had training for our other systems. However, I've had an opportunity to have multiple training sessions with a LinkedIn consultant you know, via webcast or webinar. Recently, there was a, an event where there's a number of professionals that have cropped up in this area as well, where they just consult on LinkedIn profile optimization. But the, the trainings that I have had have been through LinkedIn. However, my profile was fairly well built out by the point, by the time I got to that training where it was nice to get feedback that I was, I was doing the right things. And LinkedIn.com is very intuitive in that it asks you questions and it prompts you to add information. So if you follow the, the boxes on the top and actually complete that information, your profile will 
be fairly complete. So to the person who wants to build their network now, they've built out their profile in LinkedIn, they have the right attitude of of going in and working with other people and we're going to help you be the best you can be and eventually, you know, the goodness will flow back to me as a as I'm building my referral network. What are some of the other best practices that you would say in terms of how hard they have to work in order to build a referral network? Is this something that's just going to kind of happen over time or do they have to be very intentional about this and and should they be spending time every week on this or every day on this? Can one of you speak to the to the best practice of working hard to build a referral network? I can absolutely speak to that. I, I think that it takes an intentional, concerted focus of follow-up with folks. And I think about, I call them centers of influence. That's my referral network. Those are professionals that aren't going to be buying from me, but think highly of me and continue to refer to me. So that's a center of influence. So I need to be very intentional about making contact with my centers of influence on a regular basis and meeting with them at least annually to continue to share with them what I'm doing, the value that it's had for my clients that I've gained over the past year or two, and you know really what's new in the marketplace. And that's what continues to build up my centers of influence that that's what continues the relationship, you know, and that it's con- still fresh and that uh, referrals are re- continue to be reciprocated. And Bill, how about you? I would, uh, I would agree 100% that it is, um, uh, it does take a lot of effort. Um, it can bear much fruit if you, if you give it the right effort. I would also say things that, that go to this kind of effort. First, while social networking is becoming kind of the way of the world, we're still human beings and we're still emotional beings. Face-to-face meetings mm. are so much more effective mm-hmm. than phone or, or email or any other kind of communication. So especially when you're first building that relationship and looking to build that rapport, um, take the time to, to, to get together and be face-to-face. And that can be hard in today's world. The second thing is, and I'm not as good at this as I'd like to be, is um, – Good follow-up, and I, I think a handwritten note, again, you might say, oh, gee, that's old-fashioned, but I'll tell you, when I get a handwritten note back from somebody, I remember it. It makes an impact, especially these days. It's rare. And so um, I think those face-to-face, especially at the beginning of the relationship, and a just a very short handwritten note back to somebody, um, a lot of the handwritten notes I get, I keep them on my desk for a while because they they. Uh, they typically kind of strike an emotional chord with me. So what would you put in a handwritten note? Are you just saying, hey, thanks for meeting, or what What would you put in there? Well, um, clearly you're expressing gratitude uh, for the person's time, but also, again, if you've done a good job exchanging stories, there's something that, that struck you about their story, and sometimes including that little personal thing about whether it's about their kids or about their vacation or whatever it is that you remember from that conversation you can somehow build into a note and do it do it sincerely and authentically. We're not just looking to score points here. We're we're trying to make an emotional connection with somebody and, and let them know that you cared about them. You heard what they said, mm-hmm. um, and it's and it made an impression on mm-hmm. you. And that's really what you're trying to do um, in those those personal interactions, uh, especially at the beginning of a relationship. How many uh, networking appointments do you try to do per month, per week, per day? Do you have a personal goal? You know. Um, 
that would probably be a better question for Johan in terms of the personal goal. I don't, um, but I do, that it, it takes a lot of my day and a lot of my week. It really depends on, as the CEO of a company, sometimes I have <laughs> other things going on that I have to deal with. But I am really always setting a goal, both organizationally, what organizations do we want to create relationships with and, and people within those organizations. So I would say I'm probably spending at least 20 to 25% of my time meeting with people. And again, we try to do it as much as possible face-to-face. We invite people into our office where we actually have a prayer chapel and and some other things that um, I think really let people know who we are and what Mm -hmm. we're about. Um, And just kind of, but it is a a significant portion of my calendar, but I don't don't set metrics for myself on that just because it doesn't really lend itself to maybe what we're doing. But I know in Johan's business, he probably does need to do that. So Johan, what about you? We do track met- metrics in a lot of different areas, and new first-time meetings with prospects are counted, follow-up meetings with prospects are counted, and network meetings, networking meetings with centers of influence or existing clients for the basis of developing a relationship to generate leads are also counted. So on a monthly basis, we want to keep five meetings a week, and that's first-time, that's follow-up, and that's networking. So between the three, between the three, you're trying to get to five meetings a week. Yes, that's a pretty aggressive goal. I tend to keep more than that, actually. Well, congratulations. That's a good thing. No Thank wonder you. you're successful. I don't know how to respond to that, but <laughs> <laughs> just say, "Hey, Bill. Yeah, I am." Oh, okay. Next, next question, Bill. <laughs> so now I'm going to uh, shift gears to uh, worst practices, and I'm going to ask you both to be just a little bit vulnerable here. Uh, what are some things that you've done in the past that didn't work and that you would advise other people to not do in terms of building a strong referral network? Bill, if I can start with you. Yeah, I think two quick things come to mind. Um, and the first is at the beginning of starting our business, um, when people would just say, oh, you should meet with, give me a big long list, I, I would just meet with anyone that people would say to meet with. Um, and I think a little more discernment and a little more, um, and, and it's not just for my own selfish purposes, it's so I don't waste the other person's time too. Um, so I think being a little more discerning and um, uh, not just meeting because you can meet or someone's willing to meet, but you, but you think it's a good use of both people's time. That's the first kind of lesson I think is, is being as discerning as possible. The second thing, and I've seen this practice with some people, is you'll meet with them and they'll go, okay, I, I, and you can see them writing down names and they go, okay, I, I got five people I think you should talk to. And they proceed to give you, you their email address and phone number and say, call them. That never works <laughs> in my, my estimation or my experience is you really need that person to give you a warm introduction. Um, people are busy today. And if they just hear, oh, yeah, yeah, so-and-so gave me your name and we should talk, I rarely even get a response back on that, um, and and even if I do, you know, their their willingness to perhaps meet or have the face to face is less than if they're trusted advisor or trusted friend. Some people say let let's I'll, I'll set up a phone call where we can all talk and introduce each other. Johan actually brings people into our office and he comes down and spends time with us, or at least a warm email introduction that would say. You know, hey, I know Bill, and I know what they're doing, and I really think this would be a fruitful meeting for you guys, and I would encourage you to get together. I find that can raise the success rate of making a connection and a good connection, sometimes by 75%. So so let's say that um, one a person in your referral network, Bill, uh, says, hey, here's a, here's a gal named Sue, and Sue is a 
She's a VP of sales in the past three jobs, and she's looking for a new job, and she's just out networking. Would you mind meeting with her? And inside of yourself, you say, this probably isn't a good meeting for me, and it's not a good meeting for Sue. So how would you demure from something like that? That's a wonderful question, and, and sometimes um, the, the truth of the matter is sometimes you don't know that it's not a good meeting for me or Sue only after your half-hour yeah, meeting. until you're there, um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, I try to really be um, discerning, even, you know, prayerful about, about those things. And, and, you know, there are sometimes where someone asks you to do a favor or a friend who just really needs to network, and I've taken many of those meetings because that person's done a lot for me. Um, and again, it's not just well. What am I going to get out of this? Um, and I think, uh, but on the other hand, you would you, in your example, you said might not be a real good thing for Sue either. Um, and in that case, I, I might go back to that person and say, "Gee, I'm not. Can you give me a little more on why, how you think we could help each other?" For instance, if Johan were to come to me and say, "Hey, you know, in fact, he did recently say I have someone that I know well, and and I'd like you to to meet her, and she's she's kind of looking for the next thing." Um, end up being very fruitful, actually, um, that meeting. But uh, in that case, if I if I just didn't get it, I would actually go back to Johan and we'd talk it through together because I just wouldn't either dismiss it or tell him, no, Johan, I don't really want to do that because that, that's part of nurturing your, your existing um, network and connections as well. So Sometimes call, you just have to so do a favor back. for somebody. Yeah. So call back the referral source and say, hey, you know, we met and I wasn't really sure what that was about and can you help me process this Absolutely. a little bit? Yeah. Yes. Great idea, actually. It's a great idea. Johan, how about you? What are some things that you've tried in the past uh, that just didn't work? So when I got started in the insurance business, while I was in college as a college intern, I was selling individual insurance to anyone that could fog a mirror. I would take a lot of meetings with anybody. And looking back, you know, it's really about being intentional and about ordering your pizza. But I would meet with someone, go through the process and say, who do you know? Can I meet your mom? Can I meet your dad? Who's your family? Who else can I talk to? Who else needs insurance? Well, everybody needs insurance. Who do you know that's, you know, can fog a mirror? And I can tell you that that wasn't well received and it got a thick skull. So it took some time for me to figure that out. But once it wasn't about me as much as I could help somebody else and it wasn't about closing a sale and it was really about how I could add value through educating them and showing them solutions that were objective to their needs, uh, that's when I really started to see success happen building my network and, and, and my career, quite frankly. So let's turn our attention then to a trade-off decision. Uh, trade-off decisions, as you know, are when we say yes to something, we automatically say no to something else. So in order to build a strong referral network, what trade-off decisions must the professional make in order to be successful in building a good referral network? There are trade-offs with every decision. And as you are building your network, there are going to be trade-offs in the relationships you decide to build and the relationships that you don't. And those happen for a variety of reasons. I think back to a meeting I had about two years ago, and it was with a professional that did staffing. The trade-off for me was I could give him some feedback about my learned experience and maybe help add some value but at the same time, the investment of time into persuading them over to my view really was more than I had time to invest at that time. So I, I didn't follow up. And I felt bad about that, but I know he's doing well, and hopefully he's maybe changed some of his methods. I think he would have had to to continue to grow. 
but there's trade-offs with every decision, and I and I think back to that one as kind of a. So if I were to summarize, your your trade-off was about needing to invest time in in more productive ways and saying no to spending time in less productive ways, even though those less productive ways for you were still represented a a good noble meeting and a cause and that type of thing. Absolutely. At the end of the day, though, my job is to drive revenue to the organization. Not unfortunately, but I donated a lot of time in other ways. I just didn't feel like I could commit the time at that point. Bill, how about yourself? What are some of the trade-off decisions you see in building a referral network? It it really, especially in in referrals and networking, much of the trade-off that everybody tries to to balance is is time versus the return on, on the investment for that time. That's why I think it's important to look for the, the win-win, and we, we've talked a little bit about that. But don't just look at it as the what's in it for me, um, because I think that that won't yield uh, fruit long term. But also, I've learned, certainly it sounds like Johan has as well, that you just can't also just accept every meeting that comes your way. Time is a very valuable resource, and actually God expects us to steward that very valuable resource mm-hmm. well and bear fruit with it. And I actually think people of faith should should use discernment in, in, in prayer around these trade-offs. Lord, is this a relationship you want me to have? Even even if I can't see the immediate benefit for me or even for the other person. I've had I've had meetings where I've just known in my in my heart that I'm supposed to meet um, when I couldn't necessarily see what the purpose was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you really have to just look at those trade-offs um, and be as wise as you can with them. Um, but, you know, don't be afraid to to bring God into the equation and um, uh, help him speak to you about whether this is a, a person he's putting in your path, either to help you, to help them, or both. So let me ask about something that every professional uh, does at one time or another, and we all hate it when it happens, but we miss the appointment. We just space the appointment. You know, I was supposed to meet with you, Bill, at 9 a.m. yesterday morning, and it was either on my calendar and I just missed it or it never got on my calendar. How do you handle the, gee, I, I screwed up, I'm sorry, uh, can we meet again type of thing? It's funny, it actually happened this morning. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> and what happened was is I didn't update the appointment for this meeting, and I had three other appointments. Three other appointments? Three other appointments booked for this morning. Oh, no. One, I'm just not going to make, and I made them aware, and it's an internal meeting, so... I, I won't be abused too badly for it. The other two appointments, I reached out to them and I apologized and I took responsibility. I said, I made a mistake. I didn't update my calendar. Something was rescheduled to this morning. Unfortunately, it's not flexible. And I'm wondering if you would be understanding and flexible to find another time. And when I identified this on Monday morning, I had um, my eight o'clock that was supposed to happen today uh, moved to tomorrow, and then my 9.30 moved from today to Tuesday. So I had that meeting yesterday. It's embarrassing, isn't it, when when we miss appointments? For the uh, the frequency and volume and the amount of meetings I have and had have, that stuff happens. I've had it where I had something on the calendar, and I just completely missed it. Yeah. I didn't have an explanation. It's just all I could do is say, sorry, that was my fault. You know, most of the time people are pretty understanding. Yeah, because I think at one time or another, and to follow up on your understanding comment, one time or another, all of us do this, so we all understand when somebody else does it to us, if I can put it that way, right? 
if people didn't give me forgiveness when I've missed appointments, boy, I would be in tough shape. It's about grace. It is. It's about <laughs> grace. So whether it's a call, a text, or an email, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I'd like to find another time to meet. And I think that's the critical thing where it's just taking responsibility and asking for forgiveness and another opportunity to meet. If I were to go into a diatribe about how my kids puked on me and, you know, the dog ate my planner and all these other things, you're going to find every excuse that you look for. For sure. me, it's just about taking responsibility and finding a way to rectify the situation. And Bill, how do you handle that? I couldn't agree more. It really is about forgiveness and grace. Um, it certainly happened. Thankfully, with as many meetings and, and appointments as, as uh, tend to be on my account, it doesn't happen often, but it's happened to me, and I, it's, I, I've unfortunately missed some appointments as well. And it really is about just very quickly acknowledging and asking for forgiveness. I, I think the most um, probably embarrassing time was actually, and, and oh, by the way, I, I find it happens most often when you agree to some kind of appointment over the email and then forget to send an invite, uh, and, and that can happen. But Probably the, the most uh, embarrassing one for me is I had a meeting for someone in our office and I was there, but I had not did not put it on my calendar, so they just showed up <laughs> in the office. Thankfully, I was able to move some things and and meet with the person, but uh, you know it happens, and uh, I think it really is just about having some grace in the situation and and doing what you can to make it up to the. So I'd like to ask one final question here in the second segment, and that is this, and I I, I want to set the question up this way. Sometimes I have a real hard time just sitting down and doing my calendaring work. I call it calendaring work. And I know I've got to contact these five people, and I need to get an appointment set up, and there's just something inside of me that just doesn't want to do that work that day. Every professional, I think, faces this at one time or another. They just don't want to engage in the hard work of networking and building the referral network. What do you say to a professional to encourage them to go ahead and soldier through anyways? I, th- I think about Stephen Covey and starting with the end in mind. And for me, it's wh- what is my goal? What is my purpose in you know whatever I'm working on at that time? So if, it, if it's day-to-day and, and in my role in business development, it's really what do I need to accomplish to be successful to meet my goals personally and really starts with that in mind, making sure that my goals are in alignment with the organizational goals that are set for me. There's, there's no logic in just doing it to do it. I mean, we're born as fallen, selfish, sinful people. And if it's not for serving somebody else, I'm not sure what great would have been accomplished in this world, quite frankly. So for me, my, my motivation is really driven through a purpose that I want my family to experience things that I didn't have an opportunity to growing up, moving 25 times before I turned 18, growing up on welfare with a single parent home. My my drive is, my, my motivation is really driven from the space of, I want to be able to provide for my family in a way that I didn't experience. So whether that's a phone call, whether that's me setting an appointment, and that really gets back to why I need to be more intentional and, and protective of my calendar at the same time as far as, you know, what meetings I take and, and um, how I add value to other people. I need to make sure that when I'm adding value to other people, maybe not immediately, but at some point that does come back around. Whether it's calendaring or, or making phone calls, the thing I dislike the most in my job is making phone calls. I don't think that that is uncommon to most, double negative there. I think everybody largely hates to call people on the phone for whatever reason. Maybe it's generational. 
I have a disdain for making phone calls. So that's why I spend so much time networking for warm introductions and using LinkedIn to find out as much as I can about that person because then they're not a stranger to me and it's not as hard to make that phone call Mm. to really pull it all together. Yeah, that's good. Bill, how about you? They say that if you want to see what's important to somebody, where their priorities are, just give me your calendar and give me your checkbook. And I can I can determine what where, where, what's important to you. Just like we have to do in our financial life as it relates to our calendar, that really, you know, it's all about people. It's all about our relationships. It's all about who we're engaging with. So, yes, it is sometimes a real grind uh, to, to manage the calendar and to get those appointments set in the back and forth that it often requires. But again, it's you are really investing in who you are and you're investing in your relationships. And uh, one of the things I have to do quite often is we, um, because our business is really built both on individual relationships but also organizational relationships, we have to create usually two, three-day stints in different cities. We're going to be heading to Chicago next week. And so one of the things we're re- we really do is we look at who should we be retouching base with or who should we be trying to get a meeting with that we have never met with before. And we're actually going through some of that work right now of the hard work of, of making contact with the people we want to try to meet with and seeing if they can meet with us while we're in town. And then what's always fun about that is you're also juggling finite number of, of appointment times and uh, very busy calendars on the other end. So it's hard work. We've had some wonderful, some of our most fruitful times as a business is when we had some of the uh, these out-of-town a few days where we were able to really uh, generate some really important meetings that turned into alliance partnerships for us and turned into very fruitful business relationship. It's hard work, but it's it's worth the investment. It's worth the time. Johan, Bill, I'd like to thank you both for coming in today and to being part of the Bible and Business podcast. I'd also like to thank Faith Radio for lending us your studios today and for uh, giving us the opportunity to do this. Any Say 30-second final comments that you would like to uh, encourage those who are listening to the podcast with before we uh, end this segment here. Yeah, you know, as I was thinking about this, I, I kind of created a little, I always like a little punch list of things to think about. And so what, what I wrote down in, in thinking about this was, uh, first, take a long-term perspective. Um, as you're thinking about your referral and your network, um, think longer term. Think of I'm, I'm, I'm putting long-term relationships in place. The second was develop deep relationships. So really focus on, um, again, not just making a quick hit and trying to get something out of someone fast, but develop those deeper friendships and relationships. The third is earn trust. A big part of networking and referrals is can I can I get the trust of the other person and can can we work together and know each other's hearts so we can trust each other? Trust is a huge, huge part of networking and, and, and getting referrals. Uh, the fourth was think win-win. Always be looking not just what I need, what I'd like to get out of this, but what I can bring to the other person. Uh, and, and the fifth uh, and final one was make investments first. So if we're going to have important, um, meaningful relationships. We have to make investments in those relationships. And I always like to think I need to make those investments first. And, Johan, how about you? What kind of final uh, thoughts or encouragements might you have for someone listening to the podcast today? I thought Bill's list of five there were so excellent I don't even want to add to that. What I would say is that if you're searching, if you're working on building your professional network, that it's worth the effort and it's worth the time and it will be fruitful as long as you look for opportunities to lift others up as you're doing it. Well, thank you both. Those are excellent thoughts, excellent way to, to end our podcast today. Thank you both for coming in. 
and uh, we appreciate you being here. Thank you, Bill. It was our pleasure.